Live and in color from the NBC News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful Southern California and in parallel from the Turfs Up Radio Studio in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Thanks for tuning in to the Water Zone Show this evening. Okay, uh, so hope everybody can hear us. Well, we had a little audio difficulty getting into the studio, so welcome to the Water Zone this afternoon. And I'm here with uh, Chris Davey, and I'm Rob Starr, and hope everybody's having a good afternoon. Sorry about the uh, difficulty over at the uh, studio end, but trying to trying to make good connection. So, uh, Mr. Davey, how are you doing this week? We're great, buddy. Getting ready for the holidays, right? I mean, you know, I know I know it's that time of year when I pull off the freeway and drive through the surface streets up to my house, and I don't have to put my headlights on when it's dark. <laughs> How's the it? weather? Is, is it cold it's out beautiful. there? It's cold here, it's cold here in Arizona. Absolutely beautiful today. It was um, oh, 76, 78 probably. It's nice, and, it's nice and comfortable outside right now, but we are having cool nights for sure. Rain coming this weekend. All of wow. California. Wow. Yeah, it's been uh, barely, it was 67 degrees of high today. It's supposed to be down to 30-something, 30 37 tonight. And uh, we're just getting used to that. They have, uh, tomorrow night here, they're having a golf cart Christmas parade. So that's going to be real interesting with 350 carts running around with lights and all kinds of stuff. So it's a fun thing to do. Anyway, let's bring on uh, Miss Chris Austin. And she is the purveyor of the famous, world-famous Maven's Notebook. <laughs> and uh, we're, gl- we're glad to have her on. How you doing, Chris? Hey, I'm doing great. World famous. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, we consider you that. Everybody knows. I mean, we're 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 a global pod. You know, goes to a podcast afterwards, and 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 we were rated number one, as you know. And so that gets all over the world. So yes, you're you're world famous now. So that's a good thing. Here, <laughs> here. All right. <laughs> well, it's it's. It, it, Cool, cool nights up here um, in the North State. We've had some cooler days, but um, I think it's still a touch to the warm side uh, than we usually are. But I'm not going to complain. Um, and we're all looking forward to the rain coming in. Here comes a, one of these atmospheric rivers that at least we hope it's going to end up here. Uh, yes. So far, they tell us, but you know, the storms seem to be headed north or. Uh, the you know Pacific Northwest these days, but we're we're looking forward to seeing some rain here. I think. Well, that's, um, what, that's what I saw the prediction. So I hope it hope it comes true. We got We got to get those meteorologists uh, uh, really accurate, especially you know all this high tech stuff they've come up with for the last fifteen years. Is, I, I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, I'm more than sure. I know it's better than what it used to be thirty, forty years ago. But uh, it's still hard to predict. Mother Nature does things in a strange way and doesn't always follow their normal uh, past acts. So it could be. Yeah, anywhere. I I know one of the one of my experts, uh, Jay Lund. He says that uh, they'll never be able to go more than ten days out. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's just it's just not going to be possible to predict things. So 
Um, you know, but but we still like to try, and you know, we'll we'll see what this Super El Nino does for us. Uh, yep. You know, Ho- hopefully we have another good rain year, but um, we'll see. You know, it's too early to tell one way or the other. We won't really know until March or April, but. That's true. Um, and then we'll, and then we would have forgotten what they predicted in the first place. So that was, <laughs> <laughs> moving on. Well, let's get into what's you know some of your interesting articles you had this week, uh, especially the, uh, the the thing about uh, Newsom that he has that they have tunnel vision about. So he's ambitious about his uh, water plans that are kind of dividing California now. What's, oh, what's yeah, yeah, we're, we're here. Tunnel project again. Uh, some people say it's back, although I would tell you that it never really went anywhere in the first place. It was uh, they just went and were working on the environmental documents, and those are finalized now. So we can anticipate in the next month or two, I imagine that there's they're going to be make a decision uh, on whether you know to approve this this environmental document and selective project. Um, I'm pretty sure that that's what they're going to do, and then I'm equally assured that a ton of lawsuits will then follow because uh, <laughs> it, it always does. And this is a very controversial project, so it's you know they can expect resistance at every step of the way. Um, but it's uh, you know the. It, it, it's hard because, you know, Newsom comes from San Francisco, and he's kind of been perceived to be an environmental guy, but, uh, you know, to the environmentalist, the, the tunnel is just, a, a you know, the, the worst thing in the world and for be approved. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I wish they could forecast that, the weather. That, I, I wish they could forecast the weather as much as they can forecast that a lawsuit's coming for everything they do. Well, yeah, California is very variable, but not in that not in that way. Um, you know, I think that the, that the tunnel is is kind of needed for the water in in uh, Southern California. Um, I, I think that it, that's an important water source for Southern California, but um, it's very controversial, and there are a lot of people worried that uh, they build that tunnel is going to make things worse in the Delta, and there's a lot of uncertainty about these things. I mean, we we just don't know. Uh, we have, uh, you know, studies that sort of indicate that if we do things in certain ways, then uh, things will get better. But sometimes science, you know, surprises us. Um, the voluntary agreements are another thing that's also coming to, uh, you know, it, it, reaching some decision points now, too. And that kind of goes hand in hand with the tunnel and, uh, you know, the two projects together. And, you know, there's a lot of resistance to the voluntary agreements. Too, um, they say that you know they were put together without uh, any environmentalists or fishing groups or anybody in the room, which is which is true. Um, but now they have this plan, and they and now they say, "Come and talk to us, folks." You know, uh, but I, I don't think that's playing particularly well in the environmental community. Uh, you know, it's. 
it's a big shift for California to do these voluntary agreements. It's kind of uh, trying to move from species-by-species species actions, meaning we have a set of actions we have for Delta smelt, we have a set of actions we have for salmon and for sturgeon, and so we have all these different sets of actions, and they, they sometimes conflict with each other, you know, in terms of times of year when we're doing things, uh, because, you know, that's kind of the way nature is. Some years are good for some fish and not some for others, and it kind of moves around, and, and uh, you know, that's how populations sort of sustain themselves. Um, so, you know, we'll... We're, so they're trying to take a, a total ecosystem approach, you know, kind of moving away from species and looking at processes, you know, what, what's missing, how have we changed the landscape. So there's a lot of exciting work about restoring floodplains because they found when you flood rice fields, you know, they, um, you know, which is, which is what is grown in a lot of the former floodplains now. But you flood those fields or even flood water onto a landscape with, with native vegetation, that fish food, you know, gets created. And, uh, and, and there's not a lot of fish food in the rivers because we've levied them all off. So they figured out ways to, you know, uh, put water onto the land and have it flow into the river and create fish food. So, you know, there's a lot of exciting things going on and a lot of science that, that sort of supports thinking in that way. Uh, but change is hard. And, uh, you know, there are those that say that the voluntary agreements, while they are proposing for more water, uh, it's not enough. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. The state board finished three days of public hearings, and um, I'm sure in the next, month or two you know they'll move on to the next step whatever that is uh, well everything's going to change and then they say it's not going to change and, and then there's always deliverances on, on promises that never happen it's it's you know it's just like the people back in the 1800s who got the water rights and now we think some of them are unfair and we want to change some of those. And that's going to be a nasty fight down the road, too. I guess who got there first got the rights, and, and now we're trying to spread that out and change it. And I don't know how well, well that's going to And, I mean, but, I've been talking about this for, for a long time on this show, and I kind of point to the Colorado River. I mean, and you have uh, in, on the Colorado River one-fifth of the – flow of the Colorado River goes into the Imperial Valley in Southern California. Now, yes, they, they use it to grow uh, food and livestock, uh, you know, forage food and, uh, you know, vegetables and hay and all sorts of things. And they're very productive with that water. And with the weather there, they can almost, I mean, they, they can farm uh 365 days of the year the the crops change in the field depending on the temperatures that they're expecting but it's it's very productive farmland it provides a lot of uh crops and everything to the nation definitely um but the problem is that one-fifth of the flow of the river goes there there's there's like seven states that take water from the colorado river 
And just the amount of water going into the Imperial Valley alone is one is more than any of those states. And because they were first on the river and water rice is first in time, first in right, that means that if the Colorado River dwindles down to one fifth of its flow, then all those states would have to let that water pass to go into the Imperial Valley if we let these really, really old uh, water rights stand. I, and I don't think that's going to be able to happen. And I think the Colorado River is going to be that test case. Uh, you know, there, there's a big convention going on right now in the Colorado River, and they, uh, there's a big announcement that the California water agencies are going to conserve 643,000 acre feet of water in Lake Mead through 2025. So that's like 300 and what, I don't know, 360,000 per year or whatever. Uh, that's a nice chunk, but that's not, um, I mean, it's still not enough really to balance that river out. Uh, you know, there's still going to have to be more cuts. And I, I think that the, the folks in the Imperial Valley are going to have to give up some of that water. Uh, I mean, Arizona really depends on the Colorado River. Certainly, you know this, Robert. Um, yep. So it's like they're going to have to share. And they have not been entirely too willing to do that. Uh, yep. They seem to be working a little bit more now. Um you know, like they're going to conserve 100,000 acre feet in 2023 is what they they said they were gonna they were gonna do. Now they get 3.1 million acre feet, and they're going to save uh, conserve 100,000 acre feet. So that's like <laughs> that's not a lot. Uh, no. You know, so we're, we'll see what happens uh, because. You know, they they did a deal with San Diego and the QSA way back in the early 2000s. And after they saw that water leave, they said never again. And they they are very uh, adamant about their water rights. And they do in in our current water law system. They are they are right that they get all their water before everybody else. Um, but. I don't think that's going to work much longer in this climate change, you know, world that we have now. Uh, and the fact that the Colorado River uh, flows are dwindling, there's no doubt. So, you know, something's going to have to change. Oh, absolutely. Well, we absolutely. Know, we know it's an already overburdened, yeah, we know it's an already overburdened water resource, Chris. So, so the, the late, you know, all these things and water rights stuff did it did it actually take federal intervention to make this happen from um from the federal agency i mean i think i read in the in the article that it was uh a federal uh, well yeah the the bureau of reclamation runs the river this is I mean, the river is you know is governed by compacts between seven states and mexico so the the Bureau of Reclamation under the Department of Interior is the water master for the river. So it's, this, this is their job. And they have been calling for this, and they've been working towards this uh, for quite a long time. 
And I have to say, you know, the the parties on the Colorado River understand um, the importance of uh, saving, you know, conserving some water. Uh, <laughs> new, new guest. Who let the dogs out? Who? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. They're, you know, they're going to have to make some adjustments on the Colorado River, no doubt. Um, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens going forward. But the people there understand. The folks that work on that river understand the need uh, to cooperate on some of these things because there are certain levels that, if the lakes hit, then there's bigger cuts that come in for the you know, all the basin states that they agreed to in some operating guidelines. So by keeping it above those levels, they avoid those big cuts, which is what they have worked very hard to do up, up until now. But the big cuts are coming. There's just, you know, they're going to have to do more. And right now, I think using funds from the Inflation Reduction Act, they are paying farmers to not take water that isn't there <laughs> pretty much um and i think that's you know not a very sustainable solution um it works now and it keeps you know farmers solvent but at some point you know the writing's on the wall things are going to have to change and we're not going to be able to pay farmers for water that isn't there well, Chris, let me see if I let me ask you a question here. I want to lighten it up a little bit. Not that I don't like talking about these, you know, heady, controversial <laughs> issues that are steeped in, uh, you know, political mire and whatever. I can go on describing it. But um, in reading in reading the notebook this week, Maven's notebook this week, I tell you, there's one article that stood out for me. And, you know, Chris, whenever there is something like that, I'm always going to ask you about it. And Uh-oh. this one was... <laughs> No, this is, you'll know, you know what it is. It's the California Department of Fish and Wildlife. And I, I didn't even know that there was a beaver relocation or translocation mm-hmm. program even happening. And, and it's probably because I'm not 75 years old and it's been 75 years since I've done this. But I read on, on the notebook that, uh, that they just did it. The first, the, they launched yeah. the initial phase of a, a beaver translocation. The first in, 75 years. Am I ringing a bell for you, Chris? Oh, yes, yes. They, yeah, they released the beavers in Plumas County. Uh, I think they went yesterday. Uh, yeah. And this is, you know, they've kind of come to understand that there's a lot of uh, benefits to beavers uh, being on the landscape and the beaver dams and things that they create. Uh, there's a they came up with a whole policy, too, on, you know, if, if beavers are causing problems for homeowners, then they have a whole set of things that they will do. Uh, you know, they'll relocate the beavers so that they're not causing a problem for landowners. So they're try- But they're trying to get them back on the landscape because, you know, by the, the beaver dams and the way they back up, it's really good for groundwater. It, it keeps water on the landscape a little bit longer. Um, so there's a lot of benefits to it. So, yeah. That's Welcome back to the beavers. A, about, about time we had a good damn story. Yeah. <laughs> hey, did you know that back in the 50s, they, they wanted to put beavers back on the landscape, so they parachuted them in? 
<laughs> they dropped them <laughs> off of and if you actually go on YouTube, you I think they have some videos that they took of, you know, or they, you know, dropped them out of airplanes on parachutes. So. You have piqued my interest. I'm certainly going to research that. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see how they get out of that. How do they unstrap? I don't, from I don't know. <laughs> really? I, I, I don't know. Go look it up on YouTube. We will, we will do that. I will. <laughs> <laughs> They're going right now. Clickety, clickety, click. <laughs> I know I know. before the show we were talking, the three of us were talking about this uh, California to, to vote to allow toilet to tap projects. Yes. Direct potable reuse. It's coming to California. Um, next Tuesday, the uh, state water board is expected to approve regulations to allow... Uh, communities to recycle their sewage water and uh, and then and and recycle it to the point where it's very super clean uh, and then to put that in now directly into drinking water systems. Um, we've had the technology. It's it's been proven that you know they you, they can take sewage water and they can purify it so. It's much purer than even the water that that normally goes into the uh, you know goes into your water treatment plants from rivers and stuff because there's there's stuff in rivers but they they clean out this clean it all out of the sewage and uh, clean it up so this is uh, being ballyhooed is a great way to you know help some communities in the future you know. Um, and Orange County has one of the largest uh, recycled water plants in the in the world. So, you know, we're a leader on this, uh, you know, recycled water thing. So it's, uh, you know, we'll see. It, it, we'll see how many communities choose to do it, but uh, that's where we're headed now. You know, I've seen, I've seen some demonstrations of that, and I went to a couple where they gave after the tour, they gave everybody a drink of water who wanted to drink it. But, you know, when I, when I was talking to people from Southern Nevada Water, for example, they measure the sewage uh, content, and they can tell you where people had uh, COVID or where there's a high drug Oh, yeah, yeah. And all of that. And I worry with all this stuff that's, that's beyond natural stuff, but all these chemicals, how, how good. And then, and then when they clean it, to, to, as you said, a super fine condition, they have to put some minerals back in the water as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they do. So I, I don't know how well the public will accept this. I don't think it's, I mean, I, I, I understand it's a good, smart technology to move into, but I think there's got to be a lot of education to the public about really what it's going to do, because if somebody gets sick off of these things, they're going to, it's going to be a big, nasty lawsuit. And, and uh, you know, we, we, we need to get to that 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 science portion that we can get rid of all of these things, uh, both diseases and, and, and pills and you know, people. You know, there's always a big thing. I know a lot of water agencies talk about not throwing your uh, leftover uh, medicine pills down the drain or anything like that. So, and I don't know how well that works. I don't know if everybody listens to that kind of stuff. It's like don't litter. They people still litter even though they got signs up, five hundred dollar fines or whatever. You know, you can't get a hundred percent of that. So yeah. I don't know how. I don't know how well 
that the public will, will accept that unless they do a lot of uh, really good uh, education to the public, which the water agencies do. But I think they uh, something like this, I think they need to be a lot stronger on doing that. Yeah, and I'm sure that we'll see that as being a big part of these efforts. But, you know, I also want to point out that uh, they did a lot of uh, studies and uh, and had a lot of science reviews to take, take this step. So, you know, the, I, the state board is, feels confident that, you know, that they can create re- regulations and that this technology will, will work. And they have certainly done a lot of a lot of studies to prove that. So, oh, absolutely. I, like I said, I've been to a couple plants that uh, redo water and, uh, you know, and, and you take a drink of it and you couldn't tell the difference. You, you wouldn't even know you're doing it. And they're doing it in Orange County, by the way. So, oh, yeah, yeah. So. Well, Chris, we're up, up our, to our commercial break. Um, we, we'd love to have you on for a whole show and not go into other things and just talk about all the things that you write about because it's pretty pertinent to, to what uh, California and, and the rest of the country should hear. So thank you very much. Uh, you, you do awesome work for our listeners. Please go to www.mavensnotebook.com, become a subscriber, get it delivered to your laptop, your uh, your, your telephone, cell phone, I mean, uh, it, it's the greatest thing. Uh, Chris, Pope Christavia and I get it every single morning, and uh, we get a lot of stories from that and get to know a lot about what's going on more than I would reading it from a, uh, a newspaper. So, Chris, thank you very much. And if you want to become a sponsor of that show, again, go to mavensnotebook.com, and, and I know she'll appreciate it. She must work 28 hours a day. <laughs> no rest for the wicked. No, I, I, it's hard for me to, to, to believe how much you get out in one 24 hours, so we appreciate that. So, Chris, thank you very much. You have a nice uh, warmer weekend, I hope, with some rain, because I know you're wishing for some rain. Some rain. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to you next week. All right. Good evening, everyone. Have a great week, Chris. Yep. All right, we're going to take a little, bit break, a little break, and we'll be back with a featured conversation, and we'll be right back. KCAA Loma Linda. The legacy KCAA 1050 AM and Express 106.5 FM. Moving up in this industry means getting the most out of each day so you can focus on growing your business. With Site One, you're in control, and we're here to help. It starts with the right team. Our irrigation pros can help map out a complete, streamlined system that meet any requirements or regulation. And from the first dig to years after install, knowledgeable experts are available in branch or resources are available online to help find solutions specific to your needs. Next, we make sure you have the right tools to get the job done with the largest selection of top brands in the industry, bringing the latest in Wi-Fi enabled controllers, rotors, sprays, valves, and drip components. And because hard work should always be rewarded, you'll receive personalized pricing and earn loyalty points on qualifying purchases to help you grow. You're in control. Site One is here to help. Water is one of the biggest expenses for communities, HOAs, universities, golf courses, and resorts. So keeping those costs under control, especially when rates are increasing while water supplies are being reduced, are often essential to a customer's survival. Managing water requires multiple skills, which is why it's been complicated and difficult until now. 
AquaTrack brings multiple skills and technologies together to help large system users conserve outdoor water and improve the health of their landscapes. AquaTrack's professionals are certified landscape water managers and certified landscape irrigation auditors. The company offers audit services, upgrade advice, technical expertise, and water use monitoring. We already manage irrigation water for the largest homeowner associations in Arizona, and we're prepared to bring our knowledge and experience to help others, including landscapers and designers. Give us a call and hear how AquaTrack saved one HOA some 430 million gallons of water and $200,000 in annual water expenses. AquaTrack is Arizona-based, and you can reach us at 623-594-8689. That's 623-594-8689. Five nine four eight six eight nine. This is KCAA. Okay, welcome back to the second half of the Water Zone. We appreciate you guys sticking around. Uh, just to, just to reiterate, we had a little bit of audio trouble trouble uh, connecting with our studio, and I was on the phone with the uh, engineer. He said it was going out, but we did not hear it. So uh, hopefully, you you got to hear some of the commercials, and uh, we apologize for that. Anyway, uh, welcome back, and we have a very good featured guest today. Her name is Krista Guerrero. She's a resource specialist on the water efficiency team under water resource management, and she is from the great Metropolitan Water District of Southern California. So, Krista, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, Krista and I are excited. I know you and I talked a couple weeks back, and uh, only had about a few minutes to talk, and and. Uh, I thought you were very impressive in what you guys are doing, and uh, so we're, we're glad that, that you're here. But one question we always ask first, and I know we didn't talk about it the last time, but it's a simple thing. How did you wind up in the water business? <laughs> what made, what, made, what, what attracted you to that? Tell me, because a lot of people don't start out in the water industry, which we're telling everybody that's a good business to be in these days, and very lucrative, and they're looking for lots of people all over the country. So... Uh, what's, your, what's your story coming to uh, to that first? It is actually a little interesting. Um, I actually went to college for wildlife biology. I wanted to, to work with wild animals. But, uh, but while I was there, I, I got a job uh, working for a professor who was doing some research on Lake Ontario and the St. Lawrence River, and that really opened my eyes to the water resources and competing uses. Um, and then when I graduated college, you know, like, uh, like all recent graduates, I needed a job. <laughs> So I applied for some uh, wildlife biology jobs, and I applied for some from water resource jobs. And I was offered a water resource job in Florida. And since I had gone to college in New York, and Florida was much warmer and closer to my native California climate, I went uh-huh. for water, and I've been doing it ever since. <laughs> oh, that's good. We call you a wow woman. And what that is is a woman of water. So yeah. we're, glad you, we're glad you joined the ranks to do that. And you work for a very prestigious uh, agency, the Metropolitan Water District, they're pretty famous. Uh, I'll start off with some questions, and Chris is going to jump in and follow up uh, with that. So tell us a little about Metropolitan Water District of uh, Southern California, how it serves uh, the region. So Metropolitan is the largest wholesale water provider of treated drinking water in the United States. Uh, so most people don't know who we are or that we're even here in Southern California, but um, we have 26 member agencies, and we provide water for a total of 19 million people in Southern California. Um, we are 5,200 square mile service area. We cover five counties, um, all the way from 
the San Diego or the California-Mexico border up to Ventura and then out towards San Bernardino. It's a very large service area. Uh, we were Go ahead. Sorry, we were originally founded um, in 1928 to build the Colorado River aqueduct and to bring water from Colorado River into Southern California. Uh, and then in the 1960s, we became one of the contractors on the state water project. Um, so we import water from those two main sources for Southern California. Wow. Been around for a little bit. Chris, uh, did we lose you or are you still on? No, I'm still here. I'm oh, still on here. the line. I just wanted, I was going to ask, you know, kind of uh, you told us in your, in your how did you get into the industry kind of uh, summary there, Krista, that you do work for Metropolitan, but what exactly, for our listeners, what exactly is your role there? Oh, yes. Yeah. So I work as part of the water efficiency team at Metropolitan Water District. So we are a hardworking team of people who are all about conservation, um, running our programs, education, outreach. And my specialty, what I focus a lot on, is actually outdoor efficiency and outdoor um, outdoor conservation. Excellent. Is this, is this some, go ahead, Rob. No, go, uh, just to explain to our audience, we're all remote from each other right now, and it's hard getting sometimes a feed into the station, so we have no video to, to go by. So, uh, Chris, go ahead. I didn't mean to step on you. No, no problem. I was going to say, you know, everybody is is – kind of feeling a little bit relieved this year, Krista, because of the super wet year we had last year. And, you know, everybody listens to the news and and we went from like dire circumstances to, um, to you know, plenty of water. And, and I think, you know, for some people, at least the people that I talk to that sometimes get a mixed message from that. I mean, you know, it's not, it's not really clear to them that there are still challenges in California for water. So, you know, from metropolitan standpoint, what sort of challenges do you, are you facing even now going into this year, even having a wet year in the past year? I think you actually articulated the problem quite clearly. We have a very serious situation of climate whiplash in California. We have these abrupt swings from really dry to really wet, um, and these We've also noticed that droughts are becoming more severe. They're lasting longer than they had in the past. And then we swing to these really record-setting wet seasons. Um, just take the last four years as an example of that. From 2020 to 2022, we saw the most severe drought in 1,200 years. Right, So it was our historic drought. We had severe dry conditions, very low snowpack. There wasn't really any water from the state water project. Um, that, which is our Northern California source. So we had to declare mandatory watering restrictions on a third of our service area um, during that time. And then in 2023, we get opposite conditions, right? 2022, 2023, we get this near record no-pack that came from these great atmospheric rivers. So then we were back to getting 100% of our allocation from the state water project. And that hadn't happened since 2006. Um, but that climate change and these severe, you know, moving back and forth between these two extremes puts a lot of pressure on the management of our water resources, right? It's very hard to manage when you are going from one extreme to the n another and when you're noticing that droughts are lasting for much longer uh, than they used to. So you know, these challenges are all still there. Uh, that's true. Well, what progress, and I, I know you're, you're, you work for an outstanding organization and they've done great things, even the last time we had a super drought couple years about 10 years ago uh you guys were awesome in, in your education and outreach but 
maybe you tell, tell our audience what progress in conservation has uh, Southern California made over the last, say, 30 years? We are so grateful for all of the effort that Southern California residents have put into saving water. Um, we're noticing that even as population continues to increase, our per capita water usage does not increase with it. So we're noticing that even though we are have more people in Southern California, we're not using more water, right? We're able to keep that low. And that's because Southern California residents are heeding our call and doing what they can to conserve. Um, and we have, in our turf replacement program, replaced over 200 million square feet of turf over the last 30 years. Um, so that's millions of square feet of, of turf that people have said, you know what, I don't need that. Let me put in something that is more drought tolerant, something California friendly. Let me help the region save water. And we're very grateful for that work. Right. I know Governor Brown and, 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 and subsequent uh, governors always talk about how to reduce 25%. Did you, obviously, I believe you achieved the 25%, but did you exceed that level of reducing water? So as a wholesaler, Metropolitan is not part of the governor mandate, but of course we want to assist our member agencies and retailers to make sure that they're right. able to meet those And so we're able to see that, yes, we were getting those reductions and, and all of our retailers were working very hard to achieve those reductions. So um, we are right there in it with all of the local water suppliers to make sure um, that when we need to cut back, we're all doing it together. And just for our listening audience, tell me how many retailers do you have? We have over 300 retail, local retail agencies in our service area. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know, Rob, Rob, it might be good, interesting to point out that back in 2015, and Christopher, you as well, but back in 2015, the water zone was started as a result of that historic drought. I mean, you know, we, we started the water zone based on, on the premises. There was a great drought, and we just wanted to get uh, conservation, sustainability information out to, um, to local listeners. And and we're eight years into it now. Of course, we. Uh, oh gosh, Rob, I wish it was. Uh, I wish we could play our original theme song. You remember that? The drought, the drought. Yes. It's all about the drought. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's, it's actually quite. Uh, it's actually quite funny. But um, you know, many many of us already, including myself, uh, Krista, You know, we've gone on the the bandwagon. I've converted um, part of my half acre here, uh, where I live in Southern California, to, na- to native plant, and enjoying the heck out of it. By the way. It's been a, a, a grand pleasure to do that. And, of course, just in my business, I've engaged in, you know, water monitoring. And I've got, although we don't have automatic meter reading, I do have a, you know, quote, unquote, bloom device. And so I know exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's become an interesting thing in our household. Now it's like it's like, you know, part of every every daily talk. So, you know, what can you describe some of the ways that maybe, you know, the your 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 agencies have worked? Um, programs, things like that, to become more water uh, efficient? Yeah, we have a wide range of programs that we offer to help people become more efficient. You touched on two of them already. Um, our largest program is our turf replacement program that offers $2 at minimum uh, per square foot for people to replace any lawn or uh, grass area they don't need with California-friendly landscaping. And another one is our flow monitor device rebate, which is one of our newer our newer options, which is uh, a flume is an example of that. It's a small device. It goes on your water meter or on your water line, and it tracks how much water you use in your home. Um, and the great thing about it is it also checks for leaks. So you know, it can tell you much more quickly than you would see it on your water bill if you have a leak in your home that you can get fixed. You save a ton of water and a ton of money on your water bill when you catch those leaks early. Um, so those are great programs that we have. We also have 
know, all of your standard device rebates for toilets, clothes washers, um, irrigation controllers, uh, rotary nozzles, all sorts of things, small tweaks that people can make in their home, changing out some more efficient devices to help us save water. Well, you see a great need for because I know one of the newer rebates are available is the flow monitors. Uh, how, how do they work for consumers? Is it pretty simple to use? And do, can they install it? Or I've seen several on the marketplace, but uh, you know some of them that I've seen are really inexpensive, but uh, they're they're complicated to use. So they do vary. There are several different kinds on the market. Uh, some of them you can install yourself. I have one that I did install myself, uh, but some of them do need require a plumber if you have to cut into the water line. The great thing about pretty much all of them, though, is that they can be controlled and reviewed through a phone, uh, an app on your phone. So once you have them set up, uh, you can go on your phone. It'll tell you how much water you've used. And they have learning software. So eventually it learns your water. It can know, hey, you just flushed the toilet or you just took a shower or you took irrigation on. Um, and right. so you're able to see not only how much water you're using, but where. Can they give you an alarm status? It can, yes. So you can set it so that if you are going over a certain amount of water in a whatever specified period of time that you'd like, it will notify you. And, of course, at all times it will notify you for continuous use, which it will assume as a leak. I know you mentioned uh, the – go ahead, Chris. I was just going to say that. I was just going to kind of you know, tag on to that. It has those those um, third-party meters that uh, – have a lot of other features as well, including, um, you know, like an away feature. If you're not going to be at home and you're going to go away, um, you know, you can set that up. And, it, and if, if something happens and detects a leak, it can actually contact your, your water provider. Uh, so if you're not there, somebody else can go out and, uh, and check. Um, so, I mean, I love it. I think it's a, I, I think it's a great tool. More and more people are using it. I've gotten just sort of word of mouth. Uh, four or five of my adjacent neighbors to uh, to do the same. Of course, there was a, a rebate available for that as well, Krista. So uh, we we took advantage of that. Yeah, absolutely. Please take advantage of those rebates that we have. And another bonus to the flow monitoring devices is many of them um, you can actually get a discount on your homeowner's insurance if you have one of these devices, particularly if it uh, checks for leaks and turns water off in case a leak happens, because it protects your home from water damage. That's true. Have you yep. seen the uh, Have you seen big success in the turf removal from when it started till today? Absolutely. As I said before, just in the last thirty years, we're over two hundred and really closer to two hundred fifteen million square feet of turf that we have removed, um, and we are so grateful for everybody who's participated. Uh, we have great participation, particularly during the drought periods. But we've even noticed after this last drought that people are still participating. We're seeing a ton of activity. Many of our uh, member agencies and retailers add funds to our rebate. So while our base rebate is $2 in certain parts of our service area, it can be up to 5 or $6. Um, and so people are able to take advantage of that and have the majority of the cost paid for. Yeah. Are the retailers, your retailers good at uh, educating the, the customers their customers about what they can do when they take out the turf and, and how to how to make it more sustainable and use less water. Are they are they doing their part to, to do that? I know people like Irvine Ranch Water and 
Riverside Public Utilities, I can name a couple others, they're really, really good at, at promoting that kind of stuff and, 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 and having classes uh, to teach people about that. Is that something that you do with your retailers? Absolutely. We have great partnerships with our retailers and our member agencies. Uh, we really work hand-in-hand to offer resources and classes and everything that a consumer would need to participate in our program. Uh, so there are certainly resources on, on your local water agency's website, but there's also um, a lot of resources on our website, thewaterwise.com, that has all that information, right? A list of classes that people can take virtually for free, um, design ideas, plant guides, all sorts of things, anything that somebody would need in order to do one of these projects. Okay. So there's a lot of help also, Rob, if you go, like locally, uh, most of the, most of the uh, cities and municipalities around um, also work with lo- local agencies to provide uh, classes and things like that. I mean, not, not just here where I live. And, and by the way, Chris, I did take advantage of, I went to uh, Chino Basin Water District event. And uh, of course, I live pretty close to, to the, um, to what, uh, the California Botanic Garden, which, uh, which is very close to where I live. Um, so much so that I, you know, became a member and now I go down there almost two times a month just to, you know, just to see what, just to walk the ground. Um, but there's a lot of local resources available for people uh, that that are uh, easy to get to and usually don't cost very much if 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 not at all free. Uh, so you know, kudos for that as well. Yeah. Awesome job. So let me let me ask you a question. So how much water today? If you know the answer, it's kind of tricky. Does metropolitan water have before it? something gets serious in, in their level or availability? So, thank you. I mean, you have like two years worth, five years worth, two months worth. I know you got more than two months, but I'm just exaggerating. I mean, <laughs> if, 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 you, if there was something that happened catastrophically, how much water does Metropolitan have stored or they keep as a minimum, if you, if you know that? I, We'll be able to keep in storage by the end of this year. We'll have about 3.4 million acre feet of water uh, in storage, which is a record high for us. Um, so essentially one acre foot can serve three households per year. So uh, if you do that, do that now. But uh, so we do have a record amount of storage available, but we are already seeing cutbacks on the state water project. Mm-hmm. We're back down to a 10% allocation because we've had a dry fall so far. Um, so right. we are trying to be, conservative with that and, and make sure that we keep as much water storage as we can, which is why we're still asking people to conserve, even though we have quite a bit in the bank. Yes, that's the wise thing to do. There are some programs, Krista, out there, especially uh, on the um, on the legislative level that are going through programs like the EPA Water Sense Program, right, requiring um, uh, conservation issues by mandating uh, irrigation sprinkler use pressure regulation and now a, a new one coming down the pike for um, efficient efficient spray nozzles. Does Metropolitan Water District have a point of view on the support or, uh, or or otherwise for for those sorts of mandates? Metropolitan is very supportive of EPA Water Sense. Uh, we use their their list of EPA Water Sense products for many of our device rebates um, and. Right. Appreciate, we appreciate legislation and mandates that push conservation forward because that certainly pushes the industry forward and that helps us um, and helps our consumers 
you know, when they go to the home improvement store to make those changes, it, it's the it's the mandates and the regulations that put those products on the shelf and that make them available to our customers. Um, where where does Metropolitan believe? What what do they believe is the future of water in Southern California over the next ten years? What's gonna What's gonna happen with that? How do they see it? I we still see. Uh, the need to continue to do more with less water. So we understand that overall in the next 10 years, we're not looking at these really wet winters like we've seen or we just had. We're going to see more drought. And we know that conservation is going to continue to play a key role in that. But we're also looking at major investments, right, in our local supplies, storage, um, and making sure that we have a really flexible and resilient water system. So one of the ways that we're doing that is we have our new Pure Water Southern California Regional Recycled Project, which is uh, going up in Carson. Uh, right now it's in the planning phase, but once it's built, it'll be one of the largest advanced water treatment plants in the world. And it will produce 150 million gallons of purified water a day, which would be enough to serve about 1.5 million people. Uh, we're also looking at our Climate Adaptation Master Plan for water. So that will be our roadmap that helps us guide our future investments. So that we can confront this new climate reality, climate whiplash that we're experiencing. What What is your goal so, to achieve per per capita? I'm sorry, Chris. The per capita per person. What What level of a household are you looking at? Fifty five gallons per person. Thirty five. Twenty. You know. What What is What is a, a goal for you? I know what EPA talks about in the state, but uh, is there something that Metropolitan believes should be the correct number to achieve? That's that's an interesting question. There's so many factors that go into the per capita per day. Um, certainly, we want to help our retailers and member agencies achieve the California standards and regulations that are being put in place. Um, and so those are a really good goal for us to, to work towards. Um, in terms of surpassing them, of course, that's ideal. But, you know, we, we need to look at what it would take an investment and work to get there. Austin, I was, let me ask you a question, uh, Chris, if I can, about, so it's getting cooler, right? The nights are getting cooler, the days are getting shorter and all that sort of stuff. And we often find that a lot of, of uh, people, residences, uh, for sure, they don't, they don't really look, they don't think about seasonality and, um, you know, working on their, on their clock and changing things like that. Now that it's getting cooler and we don't, you know, the, the landscape doesn't need as much water, especially if it's turf, what would you recommend our customers your customers and our listeners do right now? That is such a key point, right? Because we think that in Southern California, uh, it's still warm. A lot of times we're still wearing shorts and t-shirts on Christmas. So we still need to water as much as we do in the summer. And even though it is still warm out, it is not as hot as it is in the summer and the days are shorter. Uh, so the biggest thing to do is really just to go to your controllers and make that change, that seasonal switch um, to winter watering and understand that you can really cut it back considerably, especially depending on the type of landscaping you have. If you have established grass, um, which for trees, you really don't need to water very often. Maybe once a week, the trees will be fine uh, once every couple weeks or even once a month, and they'll be fine through the winter cooler time. You think the you think your retailers are doing a good enough job? Because I I went to one meeting or uh, hearing. And they talked about it. Had somebody from Irvine Ranch, and I won't mention person's person's really good person that I like. I just, just trying to keep them out of it. But they were they were saying, "Hey, 
we've seen what your regulations, what your targets are going to go, but they've spent millions of dollars trying to get water reduced in their area. And they don't know how much more money they got to spend to make it even better than that. Because it's pretty costly to do programs like that. Do you, do you see that as an impeditive to somebody? It is certainly costly to do conservation programs. It is a balance between implementing a conservation program and developing alternative water supplies and understanding, you know, where is that cost-benefit trade-off. Um, often conservation is the cheapest method, but it's not always, and that's that's an important point to make. Um, the regulations that the state is put in, has put in place or is putting in place, um, they are they are big changes. And it is going to be costly and require a lot of labor and resources for many water agencies to achieve them. Um, that's, again, not saying that it shouldn't happen. Obviously, in the long term, we do need to make these strides. But there needs to be support from the state and from other partners to water agencies in doing that, particularly water agencies that serve. Well. Krista, we got to say goodbye because we're up against our uh, news hour with NBC, and, and they're bigger than we are, so we have to we have to oblige by them to do that. But thank you very much for joining in today. Sorry for the communication problems that we're having. Like I said, there's a connection problem that we're having, and, and we can't hear messages going back and forth to the studio to us because we're all remote. So, but but you're a trooper, and you did great. Um, we we love to have you back and talk more about your great stuff that Metropolitan is doing. Always a great agency and and the organization to, to do business with. We, we participate in a lot of your rebate programs, so we're very happy about that. So, Krista, thank you very much for your time. Appreciate it, and I uh, hope you have a good holiday season. Thank you again. All right. Well, one important thing that Chris and I always like to tell everybody is please help keep our planet blue. And those, and those of you who like green, remember, if you can't have green unless you have blue. So... We'll see you uh, in uh, next week, or yeah, next week. KCAA Loma Linda. The Legacy KCAA 1050 AM and Express 106.5 FM.